Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Source from Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Associate Editor of No-Till Farmer. In today's episode, listen to the Dave Brandt Memorial Lecture from this year's 32nd Annual National No-Tillage Conference. The panel, moderated by no-till legend Randall Reeder, features Indiana no-till innovator Rick Clark, last year's Conservation Ag Operator Fellow and no-till innovator Lorraine Steinlage, Oklahoma no-tiller Jimmy Emmons, and Dave's son Jay Brandt, as they discuss memories of Dave and how they plan to continue the message of no-till and soil health through farmer-to-farmer education. Now, Dave Brandt is really well known, and partly because of this meme, it ain't much, but it's honest work. And uh, to give you an idea how well known he was, uh, the editor of Ohio's Country Journal, uh, which is the main farm magazine in Ohio, wrote an article about Dave after his passing. And... Uh, those articles are all, all their articles are posted online. And in December, the editor, Matt, uh, Matt Reese, posted the top 10 articles in terms of viewership. And number one was the article about Dave Brandt. And here's another interesting point about that. Uh, he had about five times more views than the second place article. So <laughs> Dave is well known, not just here, but around the world. And partly because of that meme, but also because of all the work that he did. And you're going to be hearing more about that. I'm just going to run through a couple of photos that I took. Uh, here he is uh, with one of our new extension folks a year ago telling her about soil on his farm. Uh, he hosted a field day every April, first week in April, and here he is speaking to part of the group there uh, prior to a machinery demonstration. And people talk about, oh, geez, that cover crop is too tall. <laughs> we, can't, we can't plant through cereal rye like that. Uh, well, Dave was out there planting through it and has been for a long time. And Dave was the kind of, now I put on quite a few programs in my role with the Ohio No-Till Council and also with our Conservation Tillies Conference. And anytime I invited Dave to speak, if he didn't have a conflict, he was there. He would be there and never charged. I don't think he even charged us mileage. So he was a very giving person, always willing to give a presentation. So with that, we're going to begin with, uh, we asked Jay if he would just make a few comments uh, about his dad and the family, and uh, Jay, go right ahead. Oh, thank you, Randall. Thank you for that introduction and, and the kind words there. So, uh, yeah, so we were very fortunate and blessed where we are to, to farm in that area. Um, my father, David, got introduced into farming through his family, again, mostly through his uh, mother's side, right? So uh, my grandmother, her father had the family farm, and it passed in down through uh, my dad that way. Uh, he was, again, had the opportunity to serve in uh, Vietnam and had that experience, which really formed a lot of his interest in supporting 
people, right? Because he had that great experience, uh, which was such a tragedy, and had a great respect for you know, people's human life and their interactions after that. It really formed a basis, not only because of his interest in agriculture, uh, but his support of his fellow man on that. So that's, again, one of the things that really brought him out to uh, help educate and support people with that. So his main interest in conservation was because we have highly erodible soils, and he was very conscious of the issues of erosion and uh, his desire for that to just not occur, right? So the loss of your topsoil is really the most valuable part of your farm, and he was uh, a stout advocate <laughs> keeping that the most valuable parts there as an asset for you. So uh, he had an unfortunate incident where his father passed early uh, after his return from Vietnam, and they had to sell the family farm and basically start over. Uh, it did provide that opportunity for him really to get some counseling and guidance uh, as a tenant farmer, uh, the landlady required him to uh, report into some uh, a guy given advice on that. It really helped build his understanding of agriculture and held him to uh, you know some standards on performance that really put together that idea of constant learning and then sharing information. So his uh, association with that, a lot of these pictures show the different people uh, that he was fortunate enough uh, to learn from and to share information with which is really as we talk about, you know, walking on the shoulders of the giants before us. So his idea was again to learn and then to pass on that information, right? To pass it forward. We have some of those ideas today in everything that we do. Um, so all these things also, he was always very excited to come to National No-Till Conference and some of the other ones because of the ability to interact with other producers, to learn what systems they were using and really try to integrate the best of everything that he was hearing into what his operation was. Always improving, always challenging himself to grow and, and build on that operation, to prove those things, to learn more. And he enjoyed mostly, especially with peers uh, like the fellows I have with us, that we could challenge each other, you know? <laughs> why did you do that? Or why are you only using two cover crop species? Use more, you know, these are some, some famous stories that we hear you know, from other giants in the industry, Gabe Brown and Ray Archuleta, how as we began our journey into regenerative agriculture, we were learning how to stretch those boundaries and to build more resiliency into our system. So it was that uh, companionship and uh, the generosity that they had in sharing that information that was very important. So that was pretty much what we see. You know, I when we made that transition from tenant farmers to independent operator was when I was graduating high school. So I went off to college and, and still have maintained a professional career off the farm. I was fortunate to be able to come back about 10 years ago. And really the message that dad had been talking to people was not changed much from what he would done, you know, 20 years before when I left. So pretty much the same information about how to utilize cover crops, how to reduce erosion, uh, and improve resiliency on your farm. So he would, had been very consistent over that time with that message. Obviously there was new tools as we have more increase in technology and things of that nature that enabled, again, better adoption of those practices from that. Because we know that a lot of this isn't necessarily easy. It requires a little bit more management. So again, that's why we have the sharing 
here, which is so important, not only in the classrooms, but in the hallways, right? Which is where maybe more learning happens, right? As we share these casual conversations and build these relationships in communities. Uh, because again, his interest in supporting uh, the human part of what we have here in agriculture to support one another and let you know that we've got your back. I can answer your questions and help you through these challenging situations that we experience, you know, because we're a small industry and we need that support. One of the last projects that we worked on and are continuing to come to fruition today is with uh, the mound at Cincinnati, uh, most recently named uh, the Fields at Cincinnati, uh, is a program similar to a uh, collaboration of all these conferences, a collection of industry knowledge and regenerative or restorative practices in agriculture where it can be a demonstration, actual working farm, and to support the industry in that way. So I wanted to put a little plug in for that for us to watch out for what's happening at the fields of Cincinnati and how we can all participate in and utilize this region in uh, that, that driftless region in Wisconsin to be a great learning experience. All right. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> and as these photos are uh, flipping through on the screen, it's amazing looking at some of those. Uh, you'll recognize two or three chiefs of NRCS and uh, even Soil Conservation Service, uh, Bill Richards. In fact, there's Bill Richards on, the, on my left right now. Um, and all these people that, that Dave worked with. Well, we've got Three people who were influenced by Dave Brandt up here on the on the stage with me and Jay. And let's start with uh, Jimmy Emmons from Oklahoma. Um, Jimmy, what was your uh, first contact with Dave? And did he tell you anything that changed your no-till operation in dry country in Oklahoma? Well, yeah, if he, if he hadn't uh, talked to me that night, I probably wouldn't be here uh, today. So it was at a national conference like this in, in New Orleans in, uh, I think it was in 2010, 2009 or 2010. And uh, I heard Dave presenting on stage and uh, the famous uh, picture with the big radish, tillage radish up. In, and he, he gave a really good message that night about, you know, you just need to try this. Uh, I know it'll work. Uh, I've been working on this several years, and he went through a great presentation. And so after the, the presentation was over and we had a little break, I went up and uh, uh, got to meet Dave for the first time. And uh, it was just such a blessing to uh, visit with him. And uh, he, he said, you know, uh, you, you just need to go back home and you need to really try this. And uh, uh, you need to plant more than one thing. He said, I learned that a long time ago. And and I said, man, it's, it's really dry in Oklahoma. And he, he said, well, how dry is it, you know? And I said, well, you know, we, we got seven inches last year uh, and nine inches the year before, but we normally have around 20. And uh, he said, well, I know it'll work, uh, but the only way to do that is just go home and, and try it. And I said, man, I, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure back home. To, we don't hardly have enough water to grow one crop, much less two. And he said, Jimmy... There's nothing impossible on your farm. The only thing impossible on your farm is something that you won't try. And if you don't try it, dang it, it ain't going to work. So I went home, uh, put his knowledge to use, and uh, by golly, it worked. And uh, we started learning more and more. And the more we learned, just the more our eyes opened up. 
And so our relationship uh, over the years was through the phone and at conferences and up at Lawrence and uh, it, it really, really grew a, a good friendship and, and uh, we talked a lot about how we're gonna get the next generation involved and how do we get the next level of participation in cover crops and no tillage across the country and around the world. And um, that, that relationship was really, uh, uh, we all need support uh, when, you, when you're out of your box and out of your comfort zone. And uh, Dave was a great big supporter and, uh, and he would challenge you uh, and, and press you once in a while. And like, dang it, Jimmy, I told you that would work if you'd try it. And then uh, he would talk me into something a little bit more crazy. So we always uh, enjoyed sessions like this and, and in the, the back rooms and the back halls of conferences, uh, visiting with uh, new people. And uh, he, he called a lot of us kids uh, because he, he felt like that he had uh, planted a seed with us in the early years and, and watched us grow and watched us uh, come out and uh, start speaking on our own. And, and uh, I always felt honored to be called a kid, especially at my age. And uh, I, I really appreciate the time I spent with Dave. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Lauren Steinlogge, northeast corner of <coughs> Iowa. What was your first impression with Dave Brandt? First impression with Dave Brandt, you know our story was back, I was signed up to go to No-Till Conference in January 2009, and we never made it to the conference. And with our son's issue in that, one of the key things I figured out along the way was I had to keep his mind going. So I made a list of 10 people I was studying <laughs> to help keep my son's mind going. Fast forward to 2012, finally, when I was starting to get back out in public a little bit, showed up at Des Moines show and uh, Garth with GS3 Seeds was there and talking to him, we'd been good friends for quite a few years and I had heard Dave was coming that day, but never put two and two together. I was always in a hurry wherever I was going and uh, talking to Garth and I said, hey, is Dave gonna be here? And he's like, yeah, he'll be here later on, but I, I gotta go, would you meet me back here in a half hour or so? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I didn't know he was going to the airport to get Dave. And, to see the connection Dave and my son had at that point, I knew there was something special. And that's the one thing when I ask everybody, what was so special about Dave? And if you get nothing out of the conversation today, ask yourself, what was different about Dave than any one of us in the room here today? There ain't much. He was just a good, honest person, told you what he thought, and just laid it out there. You heard exactly what he's thinking. I cannot fault the person for that, but... You know, through our journey, <clears throat> fast forward to 2014, Kendra Brandt pulled in our yard, happened to have Dave with, to, you know, it's a pretty cool honor when Kendra pulls in to see your interceding and stuff like that. And that's and, Dave's wife. Yes. Kendra. And that that's, as we were getting ready for this, that's one thing I kept thinking about, you know, what's the common denominator between all of us and the forgotten thing when we come to conferences? It's often the wife that stays home and does the work in that. You know, and when we started going traveling and that, my wife was one of those, she was always with us, and Kendra was usually Dave's driver in that. So I wanted to make sure she gets a little credit today. And, you know, but it's just been all the years with Dave, 
you know, I think it was 2016 here was the first time I actually made it to the conference. I was not, that's the first year I was nominated for the No-Till Innovator Award. I didn't know how the conference worked or anything, and but there again, thanks to Garth, we ended up out in the hallway quite a bit together. And uh, to this date, that's why you see the shorts on, that's why you see that, because you know, that day, Dave is like, this is why I like you, and this is why I trust you, you know, you keep honest, you keep true, and that's all I can tell anybody in this room. Pay it forward and you know, just keep doing in that fashion, you'll be all right. All right, thanks, Lauren. And next, uh, Rick Clark from just down the road here in Indiana. So, Rick, what was your first contact or first impression with Dave? Yeah, the first time I met Dave was at a conference. It might have been this conference here. I don't really remember the year, but it uh, doesn't matter. Uh, I was out in the back hall, and at the other end of the hall, there was this, this guy and about 50 people. And I'm like, what in the world is going on down here? And I, I get to looking a little closer. I'm like, oh, it's Dave Brandt. And Dave was, had just got through speaking, and he always stayed and, and answered every question. It didn't matter how long it took. He stayed because he, he thought the teaching was the most important part. And, and I'm in total agreement with that. And um, Dave, Dave got done. They started, you know, people started disappearing after their questions got answered. And he starts moving my, my way down the hall. And he stops and he, and, uh, he said, uh, I heard you speak. Uh, great job. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And then he stuck out, shook out his hand and said, I'm Dave Brandt. And I said, yeah, I know who you are, Dave. Everybody knows who Dave Brandt is. And uh, didn't think much of it. And about six weeks goes by. And uh, I'm back home and, and my phone rings and I look at it. And it's a, it's a number that's not in my contact list because it's, I, I don't know who it is. So I answered and... Uh, he says, uh, he says, hi, this is uh, Dave Brandt. You haven't been to talk. And I said, boy, yeah, Dave, I, I'll stop anything to talk to you. What's on your mind? And he said, well, I want to tell you, uh, you did a great job in your presentation, and I'm asking your permission if I can use one of your slides in my, in my future presentations. And I said, Dave, you can use any slide you want. And that was the absolute biggest honor that I ever had uh, was Dave calling and asking for my permission to use a slide in his presentation. And, and from that point on, that's what started to build our relationship. Well, thank you, Rick, for that. And thank you all four for your uh, personal recognitions and comments on that. <clears throat> um, next question for you, and we'll start with Jimmy. Um, and we're... I'm focused on the audience here this morning. All of you out here finishing breakfast. Uh, Jimmy, share with, with the folks here today a tip or, well, let's start with one tip from you and we'll just keep going, that everybody here can benefit maybe in uh, this year, 2024, maybe in the near future, from Dave Brandt's life. Don't be scared to try anything. Uh, don't be afraid of big biomass or trying something out of the box that nobody else or everybody else thinks is crazy. Uh, the, the first time I had big biomass, 
uh, was getting ready to plant, I, I was really panicked up because I grew up on a clean tillage scenario. And I mean, if there was any residue, you, you couldn't get through it. Uh, and so I had warm season covers that was almost as tall as the cab on the, the tractor. And I called Dave and I said, Dave, you got me into this mess and I don't know how I'm going to get through that. He said, uh, does that thing have a steering wheel and a gear shift on it? I said, yeah. He said, well, put the damn thing in gear and go to plant. And if you have trouble, call me back. And uh, I did. And uh, amazingly, uh, the, the drill performed wonderful and uh, it was so easy. And uh, he called me in about an hour and he said, how's it going? You, you haven't called me back. And I said, well, it's going really well, Dave. It's, it's amazing. And he said, well, you just got to think about that a little bit. He said, it's, it's so much easier to drill it standing up because you don't have to cut through all that stuff. He said, if you lay that all down, you got to cut through all of it and uh, just keep, a, keep going. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's uh, back to his military. He, he told me, he said, don't be afraid. He said, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things uh, in war and travel. And he said, you know, fear can be your greatest enemy and just look straight forward, put it in gear and let it go. All right. And <clears throat> can't beat that. Put it in gear and let it go. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Lauren. What, uh, what is a tip that you can share with the audience here that they'll benefit from? Probably the biggest one I'd go back to there. I mean, there's several of them, but uh, focus on the fundamentals. Keep, don't overthink it. Just, you know, learn how to set your planner, stuff like that. That's what you control. You know, the, be the best way I always look at anything anymore is we are dealing with pyramid. We've got, Mother Nature's got the lower 90%. We're playing with that top 10%. Well, the little influence we actually have, we've got to get very good at setting our equipment and learning how to manage that. The rest of it's Mother Nature. All right, Rick? Yeah. Um, Dave, Dave called me one day and he said, um, I'd like to come over and visit your farm. I said, I'd love to have you, Dave. Come on over. So Dave comes over and uh, we're sitting and, and that, that's a whole other story and I won't go into that right now on how he got there. But um, um, Dave sat there and, and we talked uh, for about four hours and, and he said, I just I need to know how to try something different. I'm over here on your farm because you're, you're no-tilling, you're organic, you're no chemistry, you're all of these things, and I am here uh, to learn how to do something different. I need to step out of my comfort zone. So here we are, the, what I mean, what an absolute honor to have, have Dave, our teacher, our mentor, the person that, that got us to where we all are here today, uh, asking for advice on how to improve his operation and keep going and the, the next the next step, the next level. And that's what I uh, so admired about Dave. And then the other thing I admired about Dave was he's he's always teaching. And when he stopped at my place, he was on his way to go teach somewhere the next day. Um, so it, it's it's just humbling. Um, I miss Dave. I, I think about Dave every day. Um, but, but we have to move forward. 
and we have to continue to grow the seeds that Dave planted. And everyone in this room is a seed that he planted. So uh, many people could be up here on this stage. It's not just us. It's, uh, it's a lot of people uh, that were influenced by Dave Brandt and still are and always will be. So um, he, he was just basically, basically larger than life. He was a great man. All right, let's come back to, well, Jay, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, probably just to reiterate a lot of what we heard here today is the, the continuing education, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the idea that we want to always improve where we're at and, and challenge uh, our thoughts and concepts and what we're doing. So again, that's why he really enjoyed engaging in conversation with people to find out what their practices were and how he could take uh, that small grain of what's working for them and apply it in our context, which is an important thing to consider. You know, in, in talking to Jimmy and how to work in an arid environment, how can we take that in where we're usually super saturated, you know, with our types of weather conditions? So how do we take that gleam of information? How do we look at what Lauren was doing with relay cropping and apply that in something to help us in a scenario where we want to use wheat in a rotation, but we know based on that particular ground, maybe it's not going to be a very profitable crop. Can we use this technique to make it, you know, a viable option and improve the resiliency of our soil by increasing the rotational aspect of what we're doing? How can we incorporate uh, mechanical control of uh, our cover crops during planting with techniques used to what Rick has come and, and showed as an example of? So those are things where finding those associations and building on that and, and trying it in a scale where it makes an impact, but it's not gonna cause too big of an issue, right? So that's what dad always said. It's gotta be enough to impact the wallet, but not enough to shut the farm down on what you're doing. So that's, uh, that delicate balance in there uh, of what he was interested in people trying to do and adopting those principles. So again, we encourage everyone to, to look forward to that and to use these scenarios here where we can build community and relationship on that to support us in our journey. Thank you, Jay. Um, Jimmy, come back to you for another tip for the audience. You know, uh, one thing that I really admired about Dave, and, and I strive to do that uh, in my teachings, is, is just be humble. Uh, we don't know it all. We're, we're all learning this together. And, uh, uh, you know, you would think that the, the godfather of, the, of all of us here uh, would be uh, wouldn't be asking Rick or Lauren or I or any of you out there about a tidbit uh, that he could take back to his farm. And uh, I, I really admired that mentality, and, and I strive to do that today. We, we all come to these conferences, and everybody thinks we're so-called the expert. Well, we're not the expert. We're here to learn from y'all, just like you are from us. And I think that sharing and that humbleness that, that we can do this together is, is one of the great attributes that, that we need to look at and really admire. Uh, Lauren? How many people here wish they'd have went today one last time? <laughs> Next time you say you can't afford to go, you don't have the time to go, remember that statement right there. You know, go back to me and my wife, we made the commitment when we seen Kendra starting to fail a little bit. We knew Dave was starting 
We made the commitment, any chance we could get, we were gonna get out there one last time. There's no regrets. If you start living like that, you live in Dave's honor. And you know, that's the ultimate compliment you can give to anybody is just take the time for them and give them that little, as said, you know, that conversation out in the hallway. That's when the real learning goes on. If you'd been with me and Rick at two thirty this morning, that's when the real learning's going on, folks. But uh, you know, you can sit here and listen all you want, but until you take it home and practice it, that's where the rubber meets the road. And you know, and then go act, actually. If you have a question, go to that farm and see it in action, and figure out how to bring it home to your farm. That's when we start making differences. All right. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, I'll, um, I just think I, I just always go back to teaching. Um, Dave was was one of the best teachers I'd ever been around. Uh, he was just so calm and so quiet, and and you you knew you just knew when like when what Jimmy was describing. How in the world am I going to plant into six foot tall rye? But you just knew that when Dave was telling you with that calm stern voice that everything was going to be fine. And, and we have to remember that we need to always be trying something different on the farm. Now, we cannot jeopardize the livelihood of the farm in doing that. So go small, start with small pieces. You know, take, there's a lot of great speakers here this week. Take one or two ideas from several people, take them home and, and try them on your farm. That's what Dave would have done. And, and I just always think about um, the minivan that he drove. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of miles he put on that minivan, <laughs> but he's always going somewhere. He was going somewhere to meet a group of 50 farmers and actually get down on your hands and knees and get in the soil and show them what they're doing right or maybe what they can improve on. He never told them what you're doing this wrong. He never had that. It was always, let's try this or let's find something that's working on your farm and let's expand on that. So very positive and, and you always want to be around positive people. And Dave was, Dave was always very positive. He was, he was definitely very positive. Um, we're going to have a microphone roaming around here. I want to get questions from uh, you folks in the audience for these four folks up here. Um, and I'll remind you, and I, I, realize, I realize this completely. Uh, so many of you knew Dave, and we could go on till noon here if we open it up and let each of you give a little testimonial or a speech about Dave yourself. So. Uh, just focus on asking <laughs> asking a question, and we'll see uh, how it comes up here. As uh, as you're thinking about your questions, uh, I think a theme that has come from all four here is that Dave wanted everybody to succeed. Uh, yeah, he sold cover crops in, in the last few years, but he wasn't there to make money selling cover crops. If a general recommendation might have been well, you need 60 pounds per acre of this particular cover crop or this mix. Uh, Dave might look at your situation and say, no, you know, really, you only need 30. So let me sell you 30 pounds per acre. So, so just think about that. <laughs> Here he was cutting his product uh, volume in half, but he, was, he knew that 30 pounds would be more successful than the 60.
We'll come back to the episode in a moment. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Do you want to make your fertilizer plan more efficient? Source it. Source from Sound Agriculture optimizes the amount of crop nutrition supplied by the microbes in your soil, providing 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre. It's a cost-effective alternative to live biologicals that you can throw in the tank and spray in season. If you want to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI, there's only one answer. Source it. Learn more at sound.ag. And now, let's get back to the episode. All right, who, who has a question? And were these headlights focused on us here? It's hard to tell. Uh, this question is coming in from Whova, our event app. Uh, what are some of the first field actions that should happen to reduce the time it takes to get no-till dirt working for you? I think they meant soil, not dirt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for us, the simplest thing was once we started learning to implement cover crops, and you know that's going to be the biggest challenge. How do you implement them in your territory? I mean, the living root is the key to making no-till work. Yeah, I think we heard uh, yesterday as Roy was talking about. It's the living root, and it's the diversity in the living root uh, that, that really kicks the system in. Uh, we, we've taken that out uh, in a mono situation and, and a lot of fallow in between over the past several uh, decades. And we just got to think about that, that what, you know, life is, is the way forward. And so the longer that we can keep a living root, whether that's a second crop or that's a cover crop, uh, and the diversity of that, uh, to add more crops into the diversity. Uh, in Oklahoma, like I said, we were in wheat country and, and a little cotton here and there in the bottoms in alfalfa, and, and now we grow 14 different things. Uh, and, you know, that, that comes with challenges, but it comes with opportunities as well. So I, I really think that uh, living root is the most important thing that we got to think about to really get things kick-started. All right, we got another question over here. Jay, are you gonna be able to continue the farm? Jay? Certainly, oh yeah. So my eldest son, Christopher, is really uh, taking over farm operations on a day-to-day -day oper uh, scenario. We have uh, a lot of help, not only from uh, our friends that we have here on stage, but locally, uh, continue to support with agronomy advice and things of that nature. So. Yeah, the farm is still very strong. Uh, we're implementing, you know, some new practices, obviously, as you have that generational change. We have a little different ideas about how to do some things, but uh, uh, we're taking control of our situation and it's, it's really working well for us and we have a bright future going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll add a little neat little story for those of you that didn't know the last year or two, Dave was aware that Isaac and Chris needed a little room to thrive, I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> and I was I was fortunate enough he was staying at our place for a week or two and uh, the phone calls some mornings were entertaining and you know, but he knew he had to step out of the way, you know, and I'm in that same situation myself right now. You know, thanks to what I seen Dave go through, that's why I'm stepping out of the way and trying to do some of the other stuff. Give that next generation a chance. You know, how many father son duos are here today? You know, the, one of the funny things was uh, last January, uh, we started an award for the David Brandt Legacy Award. And um, so I had, I had called, reached out to, 
to the, the family and told them we was going to try to surprise Dave. And, and so they were, Jay and, and some of the boys had come up with uh, Dave and drove in. And then uh, the rest of the family was driving in later. And uh, Dave got a call about some seed. And uh, so he called the boys and said, you know, you need to get the auger set and we need to get this grain over to this person. And well, well, we'll get on that, Granddad. You know, we'll, and it's like, no, no, you need to get on that. And well, they were on the way out there, and that, they weren't going to get that shipped. And uh, Dave was getting a little apprehensive, and and I thought it was real humorous, and we was trying to keep it really quiet. Uh, but he allowed the, the the boys that opportunity to to start taking over uh, the operation slowly, and 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 trying to to get them to engage more on themselves and, and I think that's a great example of, of what we got to do. It's it's hard when you get to our age and start trying to step back a little bit uh, to let go of the reins and trust, you know, what you've taught. Yeah. Let's go back to Jay for a moment. You talked about the farm operation. What about Walnut Creek Seeds? Right. So currently we're maintaining all of our operations on that. So yeah, our, our seed business is still fully functional and we're in fact still shipping seed even here in January. So it never slows down in regards to that. We're trying to, you know, keep our heads centered on, on the functions of what we have here. We have a very good customer base that's been very supportive from that. And we're very pleased to be able to help them, you know, in their journey to grow and, and utilize, you know, the resources that we have here. So, uh, we much appreciated for the community here for your support in all that. And uh, we're continuing with that as well as diversification on the farm, you know. So we're looking at growing and increasing, you know, some, some diversity with uh, heritage grains and participating in a local uh, pseudo co-op, you know, with some fellow farmers in the area that are like-minded with what we're doing. So in supporting them in that area, we have some on-farm milling that we're looking at growing that business. You know, it's fairly small right now as we learn and feel our way out like we do in any small enterprise on the farm here. But there's a lot of opportunity with that that we see, especially in our location, uh, as urbanization is coming like a great tidal wave against us here. And how do we manage that, uh, which is one of the challenges in maintaining, you know, the agricultural business in a more urban environment uh, that we have. So these types of activities, as we look forward in what we're doing, allow us that opportunity to uh, maybe become more of an educational and learning experience uh, as or if our acreage uh, in the area shrinks just because of urban development and things of that nature that's kind of out of our control. So, okay. Well, the business can always continue. And the reason Jay's wife, Ann, is not here is she's at home running the Walnut Creek Seed business today. All right, next question. Uh, would um, Lauren and Rick talk about the quilts? Uh, would, if a, a second, please. That's a pretty special part and fabric uh, that you guys were involved in. Yeah, Kendra, Kendra was famous for making quilts, and I have one of those. And when it gets really cold, I'm sleeping under under one of those. So, who wants to go first? Go ahead. I guess how many people have ever spoke at the Brant Family Farm? One of the neatest things when you show up at Brandt Family Farms to speak, a quilt will show up. Probably one of the coolest ones I have is, I think it was 2017, a bunch of us got together there at Brandt Farms and uh, we had a t-shirt. Well, if you knew the backstory, Kendra was not feeling very good at that point. 
and she couldn't be out amongst the crowd, but uh, by the time we got home, there was a quilt in the mailbox with that t-shirt. You know, Dave's t-shirt she, that we gave Dave, she had sewed that in a quilt. That was number two, and then Roland, he got a quilt, and then last summer, Dave, uh, after he'd stayed there, he met all our grandkids, and then a couple weeks later, here, a box of quilts showed up again. I'll let Jay tell the story on them. Oh. But, uh, well, we were told that they were, uh, Dave finished them up, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with my sister working yeah. on the machine, right? But then some, I think your sister told me that, no, them are actually Kendra's favorites or something. It's something very like possible, that. yeah. Like I said, I think we're up, we're up to six quilts <laughs> in the family now. So it, it's just one of those subtle things, but. You know, and that goes back to the, the whole Centennial deal, you know, the fabric that brings us all together. And, you know, all these years of the quilts and that, you didn't even, you kind of had the hints and that, but the forethought and all that that went into that, it's the fabric that brings us all together. And that's how we're going to keep moving forward. Hmm. All right. Hey. I wouldn't pay any attention out there. Any other questions? <laughs> Rick has I'll, go ahead and I'll go ahead and tell my quilt story, Randall. Oh, go ahead. Well, thanks for the question. Appreciate it. Um, this goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. I'll tell this story, and I'm going to tell it now. Um, on Dave's first visit to our farm, uh, he was about uh, 15 miles away, and the phone rang, and, and he says, Rick, I blew a tire on the van, and uh, I need some help. And I said, okay, I'll have somebody. Uh, we'll send somebody down and pick you up, just leave the van there and we'll take care of it, take care of it later. So Dave comes to the farm and it's that, he was there about six hours and, and uh, we got done with our conversation and it's time to get, it's time to get Dave's, uh, Dave's van fixed. So, um, and we're, we're in the field or something, but it didn't matter because I was taking my time to be with Dave. So I, I didn't have anybody that could go fix the tire. So Dave and I go down and uh, we get the tire off and we get it fixed and we put it back on. And Dave is on his way. He's headed west. Matter of fact, uh, Waldy's probably coming your way, I believe. And um, about uh, six weeks later, I'm going to guess, I get a phone call uh, from Dave and he says, uh, I'm coming through your neighborhood. I need you to be home at 11 o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> okay, Dave, I'll be home at 11 o'clock on Thursday. Got it. So Dave's there within two or three minutes of 11 o'clock. I mean, he was right on time and, uh, he's, he's carrying this, uh, this white trash bag. And, um, he says, uh, this is for you. And I looked at it and it's this beautiful quilt. And I'm like, Dave, you, you don't, you don't need to give me this. He said, no, no, you don't understand. This is yours. And he said, I, I want to tell you a story about this quilt. This is the last quilt that Kendra and I worked on together. And it's yours. And I'm like, Dave, I cannot take this quilt. This one has to stay with you and your family. He said, no. You are deserving of this, and I want this quilt to be yours. So that quilt to me is so special. Uh, I, believe it, I believe it was finished, Jay, by both, both your mm -hmm. parents. I, I think it was a finished one. Yep. But he said it was the last one that, that, that uh, Kendra had worked on, worked on him with to, to complete. 
So uh, it's a very special quilt, and um, that's just the way Dave was. Uh, he would have given you the shirt off of his back if you would have asked him. And uh, he was always thinking about somebody else. And it's, uh, that, that's an emotional story for me because I always, when I think of Dave, that's, that's one of the first things that comes into my mind is that, that story of the first time he came to the farm. And then he came back six weeks later with the quilt. Um, so thanks, Walt. I, I wanted to get that story out and, and you let me do it. Thank you. Uh, another question from the Hoover app. Um, what are some of the farmer education initiatives that were started recently in Dave's memory and with his inspiration? Cincinnati. Yeah, we've been mentioning that, uh, the fields yeah. of Cincinnati there in the Driftless region uh, that's based on the property owned by the Dominican sisters there. So that's going to be the, the most current one uh, that should be functional here later this year. Uh, again, we have... Uh, Efforts with Ohio No-Till Council, uh, donations in, in David's memory there go to support the uh, education uh, uh, scholarship portion of that and other activities to support uh, the farmers locally in Ohio area. Uh, Understanding Ag has a continuing education uh, fund uh, or donation in both David and Kendra's name to support uh, young farmers, especially uh, women in starting women in agriculture as well, which is you know very dear to of course mom's uh, interest in that to support, uh, as well as with no-till on the plains. Uh, I don't know if we've exactly figured out where to put the donations for that, but again, it's to, to support adoption uh, and further education of uh, you know holistic practices in the region. So those are primarily what we're looking at to support uh, that idea with. Uh, continuing to pass it forward, right, in education in our industry. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the Dave Brandt Fund, we have one set up at the Ohio No-Till Council, uh, just like they've got one at uh, No-Till on the Plains. So if you're donating, don't give all your money to No-Till on the Plains. <laughs> and uh, the, the one in Ohio is, Dave, is Jay Minson. Uh, two purposes of it. One will be a scholarship for college students study in agriculture. And the second one would, uh, would be um, funding to help, and I'll use the word new or young no-till farmer or somebody wanting to transition to no-till to come to a conference like this. So we would uh, help them out. And I know Mike Lesseter already said, hey, if you find somebody and you pay their expenses, we'll give them a free registration. So uh, that, that's the purpose of the Dave Brandt Fund uh, within the Ohio No-Till Council. Um, any other questions? This, this question is for you, Jay. Um, I know we all like to share our stories of something that we did that didn't work out quite the way we thought. Do you have anything you'd like to share about a, a project that you and your dad did on the farm that might have been a disaster at the time, but you really learned something from? <laughs> Just about any. Uh, <laughs> um, nothing particular. Uh, so what I would say is I was very fortunate to have a very good relationship with uh, my father on that. He was always incredibly supportive with the interests that I had, uh, especially when I, I came back right to the farm and brought the family home. That was probably his most proud time 
right for us to come back to be with him on the farm. It meant a lot to that, that he could provide that resource for us. It was uh, a big deal on that. So he would be so excited to see how Christopher and Isaac are performing on the farm today. So that's the big thing there. I mean, we had several projects where we put things together uh, that might have lasted a portion of the desired uh, thing that was going on. Because we're not great mechanics or welders or anything like that. So usually it was not very pretty when we were done, but functional. So that's uh, really the key takeaway from that. I think Lauren was the big one, innovation by, by needs, right? So you figure out what you need and, and you get it done to that extent. So a lot, of, a lot of projects were rather crude looking, but functional, and then we were able to improve later on, but thank you. Okay, one more question. Yes, I, I listen to Dave talk a lot, and one of my favorite stories is that he worked with the FFA kids, and his one of the ways he worked with them, he let each kid plant one row, or one pass with the planter. And when it came to this freshman kid, he said, well, they were planting corn 30-inch rows. He goes, well, let's put down the 15-inch rows and plant in the middle. And he said, well, they still have soybean seeds in them. And they, and the, but Dave, his attitude was, let's try it. So they put this planter down with beans in one row and corn in the 30s. And so um, he came back later and he dug up the, you correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but he dug up the soybean plants and the corn roots had wrapped themselves around to acquire the nitrogen from those soybean. And this was kind of an accidental um, aha moment. And I'm just wondering if any of you have any of those accidental aha moments. Yeah, thank you. And let me interject here for a moment because uh, Dave worked with uh, Bloom Carroll High School and they set aside a, a piece of land, uh, what, how many acres there? Maybe 30 or 40 acres. A little less, but yeah. Um, and they farmed that. They held a, um, a program there in, in October in honor of, of Dave. But uh, I think here's something you can take home with you. If you've got uh, local FFA at the school and they can find some land available, one of the best things you could do is to volunteer your time and your equipment to help them establish no-till and cover crops and, and get going like that. Go ahead. If you got any other comments, Jay, go ahead. No, it's exactly uh, pretty much as you said it, right? So that experience there where uh, he would always incur, uh, encourage, right, that interaction with the students. He thought it was very important because even in our environment, as I mentioned, you know, where urbanization is something, there's very few uh, farm-based families in the school system anymore. So uh, for he always thought just like participating in educational events like this for the, the children and the next generation, uh, to see that and to experience it, to get a hands-on approach was very important. So that was one of his, his great uh, enjoyable events was to do that and work not only with uh, Bloom Carroll, which is he was a graduate from, but are also our other local school, uh, Liberty Union. Those are the only two with remaining FFA programs locally. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, let's all stand up for a moment. I'm gonna start with Rick, just a quick closing tip you want to stand up? Yeah, go ahead and stand up here so everybody, I know there's people in the corners that probably have been listening to these voices and uh, don't even know what you guys look like. Uh, but uh, Rick, what would be one, one closing tip for the, for the audience here? Uh, 
just keep keep pushing forward. Um, don't let the seeds that they've planted, uh, don't let them wilt away. Just keep your head up. We're, we're in tough times right now in a lot of, um, a lot of situations around the world, locally. Um, keep your head up, keep pushing forward. And when you take these two or three ideas home with you from this conference, um, do not jeopardize the livelihood of your farm. Do it on two or three acres, take a look at it, try it, and then start moving it across your farm. Lauren? I think one of the proudest moments I ever had with Dave Brandt, we were standing on the home farm of uh, Norman Borlaug. They introduced Dave Brandt as the father, of the father of the Brown Revolution at the home of the Green Revolution. As I was preparing for this whole deal there, I, I went back in time there and I listened to uh, Buffett's presentation here from several years ago. One of the few other guys that recognized the Brown Revolution that we're in. So be paying attention that this afternoon. All right, Jimmy. I, I, I stay true to just plant a seed, whether it's helping a young FFA member or a 83-year-old uh, father-in-law like I did to take the next step out of their comfort zone, uh, to be supportive and uh, to, uh, because we all need a pat on the back one, on the back once in a while when we're trying something that we've never tried before. And uh, a lot of the peer pressure and neighbor pressure and, and uh, is, is pretty extreme. So plant a seed and, and move forward and never look back. All right, and, and I think uh, two closing comments from me. Well, one of them from me, I think everybody up here would agree that Dave wanted everybody to succeed. That's why he would spend time on the phone. Uh, if you had a question, somebody commented to me, it didn't matter if you hadn't even bought cover crop seed from Dave, if you had a cover crop issue uh, and called him, he'd, he'd help you figure out the problem. Um, and let me add a comment from Bill Richards. Uh, you've seen his picture uh, at least two or three times on the screen. Uh, he was the chief of Soil Conservation Service under the first President Bush uh, when it uh, transitioned then to NRCS. Um, and he and Jim Mosley did a lot with no-till to promote it at that time. Well, Bill had this tip that he would share with you if he was here. He said, we need 3,000 David Brants. And by that he meant every county in the country, there's something like 3,100, but if we had a David Brant in every agricultural county, we'd be a whole lot better off. Now here's a tip. Several of you can be that David Brant in your home county. So that's the challenge for you from the, the panel here this morning. To build on what Randall was saying, again, <clears throat> you know, pay it forward. The whole idea here is that we're going to support our communities when we go home. Uh, we're real fortunate to have Ohio State University close by that can help us out with a lot of things. Really had a great opportunity to build it with Randall through his organization and all that. So uh, encourage you to reach out to your neighbors, reach out to your land-grant universities for assistance and encouragement. Uh, it only took dad about 15 years where they would start writing positive articles about cover crops and no-till. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're making advances everywhere. So thank you so much for your support and it's our encouragement to you uh, to pass it on. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Source from Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this podcast possible. 
A transcript of this episode and our archive of previous podcast episodes are both available at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day. Thank you.